All right, everybody, welcome to Wednesday night service. Let's make our way to the sanctuary so we can get things started. Amen. Who's glad that summer is finally here? Me too. <laughs> That's up for the air. All right, praise God. Well, at least we get a little time off from school and everything. Praise God. All right, let's go ahead and we are going to stand up together tonight and open up by speaking some words of faith over the United States of America. And we are going to declare that America's coming to Jesus and we are going to see a breakthrough in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's say this together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and in unity, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over the United States of America. We declare that righteousness, mercy, justice, and judgment from you shall prevail. We declare that America will complete her God-given mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We push back the darkness of Satan from this nation and call for the light of Jesus Christ to invade the media and every home, church, and school and every town, city, and state of this great nation, the United States of America. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's give the Lord some praise. And you may be seated this evening. Hallelujah. All right. Well, we'll get into our announcements here and cover all the goings on that is happening. Uh, first of all, I'll remind you that uh, Pastor, Mrs. Pastor, or Mom and Dad, as some of us call them. I call them Mom and Dad. But anyway, they're going to be in Indiana for the next few weeks. And so uh, you won't be seeing them here. But, you know, if you need them, just uh, send them some love. And I'm sure that they would love to hear from you. And then um, also, church family news is that uh, the, the memorial service for our brother John Salceda is going to be on Monday, June 20th, all right? And it's going to be at 11 a.m. And I did find out that that is, um, that is a federal holiday. So a lot of people will have off work, which makes me really happy. So um, be here. Uh, services at 11 a.m. And the church family is helping out with the reception dinner afterwards. And so uh, if we could, Frank or Robert, please grab the sign-up sheet for me off the info booth. Can we get that circulating? Gentlemen, and uh, the menu for the for the reception is Mexican food. So, uh, we're anything that you can provide along those lines uh, would be great. And we just want to be a really big blessing, Amen. So let's do that together. All right. So they're going to get that going around. Also, I keep reminding you that the June scripture reading uh, is featuring some daily commentary uh, from Pastor, and it's been really cool to not only study the Word, but even if it's just a sentence or two of uh, some biblical commentary. That's great. And really, uh, it's a good opportunity for you to maybe do a little Bible study with the kids or the family and they can discuss it. And uh, and it's just a super cool uh, new way of doing that. All right. Uh, next thing is this Friday, June 10th, 630 is the women's meeting. Ladies, are we excited? Woohoo! Alright, very good. I had to do my best. That's as high as I can go, friends, alright? Give, now give me a balloon and maybe I could get a little bit more. But anyway, uh, June 10th, 6.30, Rosalinda is teaching the word and there's gonna be a finger food menu. So bring something to share and just have a really great time. Alright? And then, uh, next Friday, the 17th, is gonna be the young adults get together at 6.30 with our special guest teacher, Rosalinda. All right. Hey, two for two. She's on a roll. And uh, she's going to be hosting that that night, I believe, at her house. But I'll, we'll find out. And uh, so that's ages 18 to 30. Come out. Hang out. Have a good time. And, uh, and enjoy fellowship with each other. And then Father's Day is coming up on June 19th. Let's hear it for the dads. I scan the audience and there is a disproportionate number of women. All right. <laughs> Many more women than men, but it's all right. It's, it's good. It's good. We'll get them here. And so that's going to be, uh, uh, Sunday the 19th and we got some good gifts for every dad that's going to be there. So get the dads out that day and we are going to have a manly, godly good time. And this year we are guaranteeing the best and, and worst dad jokes that we have ever presented at this church. All right. We're getting the list together. The boys are working on it. And I'm just saying they're going to bring probably not their A game, but maybe their B game. And so be ready for that. It's going to be a good day of dad jokes and fun. And then water baptisms are coming up on Sunday, June 26th. There's also a sign up sheet for that back there. So that's Sunday, the 26th. 
and we're doing um, both the morning and the nighttime service that day. First time ever we're doing that. So morning and nighttime service, and we're already getting a lot of uh, names uh, signed up. So it's going to be a wonderful day uh, to celebrate baptisms. Amen. All right. Well, who knows what time it is now? Yes, it's happy time. Oh, boy. All right. And so if you need an envelope, raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. And we are going to open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Yes, 2 Corinthians 9. I'm going to be in the New King James, 2 Corinthians 9. Now, if you're giving online, you can go to hdwc.org slash giving. And speaking of all this great stuff, uh, who, who was here for the cake auction on Sunday? Wow, that was a good time. And so everyone's asking me, how much did the teenagers get? They got $1,840 from cakes. Yeah. Amen. So uh, they're working out their trip right now, but uh, they've got some pretty good uh, leads on where they're going. So they're, I mean, hey, I may have to try to sneak back into youth ministry for a couple days there just to get my name on the list. But uh, anyway, so thank you to everybody that helped out uh, with the uh, cake auction. It was wonderful. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 7 in the New King James. And it says this, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And so if you sow a little, praise God, you still get a harvest. Amen. You still get a harvest. But if you sow sparingly, you just you reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's good news, man. If you're a giver, this is exciting stuff right here. And look at verse seven. It says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver. Do we have any cheerful givers in the house? Yes, we are cheerful givers, man. I'm happy because I see this verse and I'm like, there it is. If I sow some seed, I get to reap a harvest. And and that's about the smartest thing we can do right now is to get the kingdom of God principles working in our finances. You want to get God's provision. You want to get his process already working. So when you need a harvest, it comes right in. Amen. And so we are cheerful givers. All right, let's go ahead and stand up together. We're going to speak some words of faith over our tithes and our offerings. And then we're going to get into some praise and worship. Then who's ready for another night of summer in the Psalms? All right. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do part two tonight and oh boy, I'm excited. It is a really, really good chapter. We're going to study tonight. All right. So let's speak these words of faith together. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive Jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth and business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, binding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs so I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously in the kingdom of God, and promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go. Let's worship the Lord together tonight. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you. 
Cause I know you'll make a way I don't always understand I don't always get to see But I will believe it Yes, I will believe it Let's sing that Cause you make mountains move You make giants fall standing on your word. I am standing on your word. I'm calling heaven down to earth. And you will fight my enemies. And this will end in victory. And I will believe it. I will believe it. Let's raise our voices. Because you make mountains move. And you make giants fall. And you use songs of praise to shake prison walls. And I will speak to my fear. And I will preach to my doubt that you were faithful.
we love you and we thank you Jesus that you are faithful Lord and, and just like Paul wrote in, in 2 Timothy even if we have been unfaithful you remain faithful for you cannot deny who you are Lord at your core and at the essence of who you are we know your love and we also know that you are faithful Jesus and we thank you for never letting go you said you'd never leave us you'd never forsake us and you've kept that promise God there's not one moment that, that you've left us to fend for ourselves, not one moment that you've left us all alone. And Lord, we just we praise you for that tonight. We, we thank you. We may not have the words to completely express what we want to say, but we thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness and your goodness. It endures forever and ever and ever. We love you, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us tonight and have your way. Let your presence fill this place. Let your presence fill our lives. We love you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for it, Father. Hallelujah. Can we give Jesus some praise tonight? Amen. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, we're going to have a good time getting into the word tonight because any time that we get into God's word, it's a good time. There's never a bad time when we're doing uh, time with the Lord together. All right. Well, uh, what we did last week is we started off um, what we're going to do a little Wednesday night series here called Summer in the Psalms. And, uh, you know, there's I absolutely love the book of Psalms. And and as a as a born again Christian, uh, you know, it's super important that we have a lot of our focus, uh, you know, in the New Testament, especially epistles. So I read from the New Testament every day, but honestly, I read something from the Psalms 365 days a year. And tonight I'm going to be sharing on a chapter that I read every day at some point during my day. And um, I'm getting ready to get into that. But the book of Psalms is, uh, it's important for so many reasons. One, because it's the word of God, uh, but also uh, it's the biggest book in the whole Bible, 150 chapters. And, uh, and out of, uh, all the Old Testament prophets and, and Old Testament books that Jesus quoted from, he quoted from the book of Psalms more than any of the other Old Testament books. And so Jesus was, uh, very, very well acquainted with the Psalms. And in fact, many, many, many of the Psalms predicted and prophesied the coming Messiah. And, uh, and in fact, when Jesus was even dying on the cross, and uh, he 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 quoted from the Psalms right there on the cross, and so it's a it's a wonderful, important book. And you know, uh, King David did write the biggest majority of the Psalms more than anybody else, but he didn't write all of them. And so there's other authors in there. Uh, Moses wrote a couple of them, and uh, Solomon wrote some, and and some different uh, 
some different writers, but David is known for writing a lot of the Psalms. And what it is, is uh, there's there's songs that especially the Hebrew people would sing. And and for us, they may not always kind of line up with how we would think our, you know, music would line up, but, but they are absolutely powerful. And tonight, what we're going to be looking at is one of my favorites, and I'm probably going to say this every single week, but it, I, but I merely mean it. This is one of my favorite, favorite psalms, and tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 18. Psalm 18, and it is a dandy. It is wonderful, wonderful psalm, and it is a song that King David wrote thanking the Lord after he had been delivered from King Saul and from the hand of his enemies. Now, it is a, it's not a short psalm, so we're going to really grab these first three verses, and then later on we will look at some of the other verses in there. But Psalm 18 and verses 1 through 3, and these are just, I mean, these do something for me. I cannot read these few verses without just getting a little bit happy because it does something to my spirit, man. Oh, Psalm 18. And we're going to look here at verses 1 through 3, and I'm in the, the NLT here. So Psalm 18, starting at verse 1, and King David, he's been delivered from his enemies. He's been delivered from King Saul, who was hunting him like a dog, trying to kill him. And so David writes this psalm, or this song, uh, to the Lord. Then he says this, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. And you better know that now that he better be your strength because uh, we really aren't as strong as we may think we are. But the Lord is our strength. Verse 2, the Lord, here it is, is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. Or as the King James says, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. Have you ever heard of someone, they just need a safe space? They just need to go to their happy place? Well, Psalm 18 takes me to my happy place every time. But I'm telling you right now that David got this down. He says, the Lord is my safe space. He is my place of of safety. When I'm clinging to Jesus, I am in that secret place, that that fortress, that place of safety. Psalm 18 verse 3, David says, I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. And that is just a powerful thing to know right there that when you are being chased by your enemies like David was and hey, you know, we've all been in spots where we feel like the enemy's coming and and we were being chased and surrounded. We've been there, but I'm telling you for David, this wasn't just figurative speech. This wasn't just some, you know, thing that he was writing in a poetic. This was the real deal. He had armies chasing him with weapons and and, and he had a wild and crazy king trying to kill him all the time. And so this wasn't just some cute thing he wrote. But he says it, man. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. Now, I don't know what what all our enemies may be of. Certainly we know that it's the devil, right? That's the main one. He's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, sometimes he can work through people, you know, to try to be an enemy in your life. He can work through circumstances or uh, or maybe, you know, something like sickness or something that would try to be an enemy in your life. But I know this much. It doesn't matter what the enemy is. What matters is who the deliverer is, who the Savior is, who your rock is. And if you call on the Lord who is worthy of praise, come on, he saves us from those enemies. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to break down three things out of verse 2 that uh, it tells us that the Lord is to us. And these speak in a big, big way into my life. And I believe that they will to you also because we've got to get a revelation more and more every day in our hearts of who God is. Now, I know, I know that I will never fully comprehend him. I mean, he's way beyond anything that I can imagine. In fact, 
Paul put it this way. He, he prayed that we would be able to understand the, the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of God's love. But then he said, you know, but it's beyond anything, it's beyond anything you'll ever be able to fully comprehend. You'll never fully understand God or his love. But the more that I study his word and the more I read things like this, I get a little bit better acquainted with who he is. And then when the enemy comes in and says, hey, I am this, I say, oh, but God is this. You better look out. Amen. And so let's look at a few, three things here tonight. And I love it. Love it. Love it. Number one, the Lord is number one, my rock. He is my rock. And it says this all throughout the Psalms. You know, he's my rock. He, you know, he's the the rock of my salvation. And the New Testament alludes to this. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But when I think of a rock here, I'm not, I'm not thinking about a little pebble or a little stone that you can skip on the pond. I mean, the Lord, David is talking about God. He is a rock. He is a boulder in your life. And, and you know, what's one of the main wonderful, beautiful things about a giant boulder or rock? Well, I can tell you this much. They're stable and they're immovable. They are, I mean, I'm, that's what I'm talking about, that when God is my rock, what am I saying? I'm saying he is my stability. He is the thing that keeps me anchored to the ground so I don't go floating off crazy, right? He is the only stable, immovable thing in my life. You know, one of the trails that I like, I like to hike and I, uh, there's a beautiful trail in Big Bear called Castle Rock Trail. And, uh, and it's, it's a, it's a decent hike. Maybe some of you have done that, but you get up there on the trail and, and lo and behold, there's a big rock called Castle Rock. And, and so this beautiful, huge boulder, I mean, I'm just sitting there staring at this a couple weeks ago and, and I'm staring, I'm like, man, that thing, how long has that been there? How, how many, I mean, it's, it hasn't moved. It hasn't changed. It's been the exact same for thousands of years or whatever. It has not changed. It hasn't updated and been like, well, all the other rocks are doing this. What's your problem? You need it. No, it's just been the exact same thing. And some people may think, well, that's kind of boring. I think that's awesome. I love something that is so stable that it doesn't even have to change with the times because it already has it all together. And when I'm talking about Jesus, you know it, Hebrews 13a, what's it say? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is that stable rock. The, I mean, the impenetrable fortress uh, is what he is in our lives. And, and we all need something in our lives that we could say is our rock. And, you know, see, I, people say things like, oh, man, you know, my, 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 my wife, my husband, my, my dog, whatever. They're my rock. They're just what, they're just what holds me together, you know, whatever. But when, when we're talking about for the born-again Christian, what should be your rock? Your rock needs to be Jesus. Because he's the only stable, immovable rock that there is. And, and, and so I want to look at uh, this application of Jesus being the rock of our lives, okay, uh, in a few different aspects here. And so we'll be coming back to Psalms. This is summer in the Psalms. But I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 28, Isaiah 28, because Isaiah says something about the Lord. And then uh, the New Testament repeats this exact same thing. So we're just going to look at Isaiah, what he said about here. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. And so it refers, uh, Old and New Testament to the Lord being our rock and specifically Jesus being our rock. And so it's Isaiah 28 and verse 16. Now, now as Isaiah is writing is if you read the whole chapter, he's dealing with some hecklers, some haters, some mockers, some scoffers, some people just, I mean, just, just, just laying it on him. And, and so, it's an interesting chapter to read, but, but verse 16, he comes in and, and he says this. Uh, he says, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone, a, a firm and tested stone. Uh, listen, this whole Jesus thing, this isn't some experiment that we're trying out. He's tested and proven and he's firm. This, it's not even, 
it's not even a risk. He's tested. He's firm. He's proven. He is stable. He's a rock. And so he's a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. And so they're all given Isaiah and, and, and the God followers a hard time. And he predicts that, hey, there's Jesus, this Messiah is going to come and he's going to be the cornerstone of our faith. Now, I've heard the phrase cornerstone my whole life because, hey, I was raised in church. And, you know, it's just one of those phrases that, that we all use. But but what is a cornerstone? So I want to read to you a little bit of a Bible commentary. So nerd alert time. Push your glasses up. Nerd alert time. All right. Here we go. You're going to learn something. But um Here's a little Bible commentary on what is a cornerstone. Since ancient times, builders have used cornerstones in their construction projects. A cornerstone was the main stone usually placed at the corner of the project to guide the workers in their course. The cornerstone was usually the largest, most solid, and most carefully constructed of any in the building. The Bible describes Jesus as the cornerstone that his church would be built upon. In the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's foundational. Once the cornerstone was set, it became the basis for determining every measurement in the remaining construction. Everything had to line up and and pair up and be in tune with the cornerstone. And as the cornerstone of the building of the church, Jesus is our standard of measure and alignment. So what is my standard in life? Am I, am I, you know, to say, well, I know, you know, I'm not supposed to do this, but let's get real. Everyone else is doing it. Wait, are they my standard? Or, or, you know, even if, well, this guy's a Christian and he does it, I might as well. That's fine and dandy, but that guy is not my standard. He's not the cornerstone that I'm building my life upon. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the standard. Now, I get it. I'm never going to be perfect like Jesus. I get that. But I am trying to base my entire life upon his teachings and what he told me to do and what he patterned for me. And so I, I encourage you, man, I, and I'm trying to teach my kids this, but listen, if you're going to, for instance, do a job, do it as if Jesus was the customer. Seriously, you know, if you work at Jack in the Box, I'm not, I'm not even trying to be funny. Mop those floors as if Jesus was the next customer coming in. This may not be a popular thing to say, but that's my standard in life. Not just like, oh, well, you know, it's the midnight crowd in Barstow with Jack in the Box. They don't, no, uh, listen, my standard is Jesus. He's the cornerstone. And if I would do everything in my life as if I was doing it for him, right? Paul said in Colossians that whatever your work is, whatever your job, do it as unto the Lord. So flip that burger like Jesus was going to be eating that jumbo jack. Can I get a witness? Amen. Uh, you know, weld that exhaust like it was going on Jesus car, right? You know, fix that railroad train or, you know, whatever you guys do down there. Do, do that as if Jesus was shipping his freight on that thing, man. Seriously, that would change your life. And when you live your life that way, as Jesus being the pattern and the example it's just like the, the the Proverbs tell us that promotion doesn't come from the East or the West. Promotion comes from God. And if you want promoted, work as if you were doing it for Jesus. And even if nobody else appreciates you, Jesus does, and he will see that promotion comes. Because my promotion ain't coming from you anyway. It's coming from Jesus. All right? And so he is the cornerstone. I'm going to read a little bit more of my commentary and, you know, again nerd alert, so go with me. Um, uh, Unfortunately, not everyone aligns with the cornerstone. Some people accept Jesus. Some reject him, right? We know that. Does anybody know someone in here that has accepted Jesus? Hopefully you'll raise your hand. I'm I'm hoping, assuming that you have, all right? And so uh, do you know somebody that has rejected Jesus. He is not their cornerstone. He, they are certainly not uh, patterning their life after the teachings of Jesus. I think we all know somebody like that. And the Bible tells us, you can write these down, not turn there tonight, Mark 12, 10, and uh, even Psalm 118, 22. It tells us that Jesus 
is the stone that the builders rejected, right? And so he's the rock. Some people pattern their life and build their life on that rock. And some people trip over him, try to run through it, try to get around it, and stumble over that rock their entire lives. But either way, I'm telling you, Jesus is the rock. In fact, 1 Peter 2.8 says that he's a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And, you know, again, how are you going to handle the rock? Well, you could build your life upon him or you can try to fight the rock, but you're not going to lose. You're going to what? You're going to get that elbow. Come on, somebody. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I had to fit one in tonight, just one. Amen. But you know what? It's, it's for the people. We're doing it for the people. All right. And so Jesus can either be the rock you build your life on or he can be the rock that you try to fight and break through and, and do your own thing your whole life. For some people, they stumble on that rock. For some people, they build upon that rock. And I know that I've made my decision with David. The Lord is my rock. And number two, he is my fortress. He is my fortress. Now, this is one of my favorite Bible words. I love the word and the teaching of fortress. And, you know, again, there's many synonymous words that the Psalms and Proverbs especially use about him being our, our refuge, our fortress, our, our fort, our strong tower. Uh, I mean, just all these different synonymous terms. But, but you know, the, the thing remains the same, that God is our fortress. And what does a fortress do? It surrounds you and it even covers you and it protects you. He is our safe place, as we talked about. Now, a fortress, when done right, not only protects you from an invading army that may be trying to come and get you, but another beautiful thing about the shelter and the fortress is that it is, it's that, it's a shelter from the storm in life. And sometimes we've got enemies trying to charge at us. And hey, let's get real. Sometimes it's just storming in this world and it's raining. And Jesus said it rains on the just and the unjust. I mean, as long as we live in this world, yeah, there will be battles to fight. There's never going to be a time when there's, and as positive of people as we are, you know, like this is our ministry. We speak positive words. We believe for the best. And we also realize that there's a real enemy that wants to take us down. As long as I am breathing oxygen on planet Earth, yeah, there's going to be battles to fight. There's going to be, you know, enemies that try to, to get me. But praise God, I always triumph in Christ Jesus. So there's that. I'm not losing any sleep on that. But we always triumph in Christ Jesus. Now, a fortress, it is a wall to protect us from invading enemies. And it's also a shelter in the storm. Now, I, I, you know, another hobby of mine, I really enjoy studying survival situations. I know, nerd alert. And also, uh, I, I like roughing it in the woods type of things. I, I like to study it and, and try to do what I can. Uh, but one thing about a survival situation is most people, right, you watch a movie or something and, and they're lost in the woods. The first thing they try to do is find food. And next thing you know, they're eating mushrooms off the ground or, you know, boiling pine needles or something. And, and their, their first priority is food right away. And honestly, if you want to get real, you can go weeks without food if you have to. Now, we don't want to do that, but you could go weeks. Food is not number one on your priority list. But in extreme situations, shelter is number one on you can maybe if you're in a, a terrible blizzard or ice storm or in horrific desert heat or something like that you need water that's way up there but shelter is at the top of your list of survival needs and i love that in this life i'm not just surviving i'm thriving but i have a shelter that covers me from the storm and it surrounds me from the enemy on every side, from every angle, the Lord is my rock and he is my fortress. Psalm 31. Let's go. Psalm 31. Let's do this. Psalm 31. All right. So let's check this out here. And I'd love to read all of Psalm 31 too, but we just simply don't have time. Psalm 31. Who's with me tonight? Are we getting anything from this? Psalm 31. And we're going to look here at verse one, another Psalm of David. So Psalm 31 and verse 1, and he says this, O Lord, check it out, I have come to you 
for protection. What is that telling me? That, yeah, the Lord is his fortress. The fortress, that's where you go to get protection when the enemy is chasing you, when when you've got something coming at you. And so David, here he says it again, I have come to you for protection. This is interesting. Don't let me be disgraced. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me for you do what is right. And this is interesting. Have you ever gotten yourself into an embarrassing situation? Go ahead and raise your hand. I'm not the only one. Come on. Help me out, people. All right. Thank you. Nick, especially you. Thank you. All right. We've all got ourselves into embarrassing situations. And when we come to the Lord, hey, he will not let us be disgraced. And, uh, you know, we've put ourselves into situations where we could potentially, you know, hey, be embarrassed, be disgraced, whatever. And, yeah, we may have to deal with a little bit of embarrassment or something and swallow our pride and say, you know what, I was wrong. But if we go to Jesus for our help, go to the rock, go to the fortress, he will see to it that you are not disgraced. That's good news right there. I, You know, I, I don't want to live a life of disgrace. And... You will come out on top and you will get the last laugh in the situation if we're going to him as our fortress. Now, here we go. One verse out of this chapter because you can't get me started on Psalm 34. But look at Psalm 34, verse 5. I will literally go on this for days. My favorite, favorite chapter. Psalm 34 and verse 5. So let's just go there really quick. Psalm 34, verse 5. And, uh, man, this is a good one. Woo, this is a good one. Get your highlighters out, people. Go ahead, do it. Get them out. You're going to want this. Psalm 34 and verse 5. And David says this. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. Check it out. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Oh, come on. I am not going to have to live in shame and disgrace, even if I've done something stupid, if I confess that sin, right? If I'm not trying to hide my sins and trying to, you know, you can't hide it from the Lord, but if I will confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. And when I handle it God's way, no shadow of shame will darken my face. I don't have to live in disgrace and shame. God will turn what could have darkened my face with shame into radiant joy. It says it right there, man. They will be radiant. They're glowing with joy. But that's if we run to him as our shelter and our fortress. And so in my final few years of high school, right, here we go. My final couple years of high school, I mean, some bad things happened to my family that I don't, we don't even fully disclose or share because, hey, no one likes digging up painful memories. But, uh, but let's just say that our family lost everything, basically, that we had, including our home, including our church, and including every friend that we nearly ever had. And, you know, through a series of unfortunate events and, and uh, the devil using mean people, it, it was bad. And so as a teenager, I mean, that just really stinks to lose every friend you've ever had in your life in your formative years. And and as I'm looking back on that, I mean, it, it felt so low. It felt so, it was embarrassing. You know, go from being a prominent family in a small town, you know, and uh, my dad was well known. He was on TV. And that's back, you know, when we didn't, you know, uh, use the Roku and, you know, do on demand. I mean, it was actual television. And so, uh, you know, people knew us and just stupid things that the devil happened to, uh, to seem like to pull the rug all out. And it was, it was a really low point. And it, there's when, when bad things happen, I've learned this much. You can handle it two ways. You can run from God or you can run to God. And through all of this, you know, it seemed like it just, I didn't see any way, you know, how this is ever going to change and, and really, uh, you know, how we could ever, you know, are we ever going to preach again? Are we going to be a ministry again? What is going to happen? I mean, there's some mean people in this world, even people that say that they're Christians. And, you know, and you lose your house and people stab you in the back and hurt you. It hurts. 
and you got some scars along the way. You know, Jacob wrestled with God and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And, and, and he, he had, you know, he went through some stuff, man. And, uh, and, you know, I don't even disclose all of it, but people were so mean and cruel and, and I don't ever think about it anymore. But losing your house, you know, at 16 years old to the point where literally living in a garage my senior year of high school, showering with a garden hose. And they still weren't happy enough. They still wanted to stab more and hurt more. And so I'm thinking about all this. And, and you know, Psalm 34, man, come on. It says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Come on. When you mess with God's people, they always rise to the top when they do things God's way. And so, hey, we didn't run from God. We ran to God. We could have pleaded our case and questioned, why'd we lose it all? We were only trying to do our best for you. Hey, Paul was trying to do his best and he had some things happen. I've done my best for the Lord and had some things happen, but every single time we've gotten knocked down, we've got back up. The book of Proverbs says that the righteous may get knocked down seven times, but every time they just get right back up. But for the wicked, one knockout punch and they are down and they don't ever get up again. And so praise God, we ran to our fortress and long story short, we're living our best life now. Yeah, I love my life. I, you know, I talk to people about this all the time. Man, you know, you love the, oh, I love my life. My, my life is so good. Why? Because it's built on Jesus, uh, the cornerstone. And when I do things his way, I always triumph in Christ Jesus. I traded a bunch of people that may not even like us, but whatever, for a whole bunch of people that at least you act like you like us. So I'm good with that. You know, hey, you know, hey, I love it. And so God is good. And, you know, the people that tried to, uh, you know, take take us down, they, you know, a lot of them reaped their harvest and God took care of the rest. Because when someone does you wrong and you leave it in God's hands, God, vengeance is the Lord's. God pays people back for harming his children. But when you take vengeance and revenge into your own hands, then it's on your shoulders and, you know, good luck, mate, whatever. But you leave it in the hands of God. First Peter chapter 2, 23 and 24. We know 24 is the healing verse. It's wonderful by his stripes. Ye were healed. But it also talks about when Jesus was insulted, he didn't even respond. They're yelling things at him. You're a fake. You're a phony. You're a blasphemer. You're nothing. You're a loser. And what did Jesus respond? Didn't say a word. He just kept walking. Just kept walking forward. Didn't even take the time to stop and respond to their allegations. And it specifically says that he left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And amen. God took care of that. And God will take care of your situation if you let him be your fortress and your rock. And that brings me to number three, the third thing out of Psalm 18, verse two. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my savior. Or I really love the King James. I like says it better that my deliverer, he's my deliverer. And so, yeah, I've I've been in some uh, situations usually that I got myself into uh, where only God could get me out of it. But thank God, he is my deliverer. And so if you need deliverance, hey, I've got a deliverer, and I will hook you up with him. Amen? If you need safety and protection, I know a rock and a fortress, and I will hook you up with Jesus. And so again, uh, Psalm 18, let's flip back there, Psalm 18. If you read the uh, the intro to that, I don't know what your Bible has in it, but right over the uh, the heading to the chapter... Uh, usually it'll tell you a little bit about it, uh, you know, where, why David or whoever wrote it, uh, maybe what situation they were in. Is it a song? Is it a Hebrew poem? And so Psalm 18 is, again, about a time that David was delivered from King Saul, who was just nuts. I mean, you think you know someone that is nuts? King Saul was, I mean... He was nuts, all right? He was crazy. And uh, anyway, so uh, God delivered David, and so he writes this. But Psalm 18, verses 16 through 19, so let's, let's get down to that part. Psalm 18, verse 16, David says this. He's just been rescued. He says, 
He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies. These weren't weaklings that were trying to kill David. They were legit powerful people. But God rescued him from those who hated me and were too strong for me. And David admits it like, yeah, they were stronger than I was. They hated my guts. But God delivered me. Look at this next verse. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress. And sometimes it's like, man, can I catch you? I'm already in distress. And then another attack comes. The devil's not interested in playing fair. He doesn't care about that. But check it out. David says, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. What's the place of safety? Man, it's the fort. It's the fortress. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. Well, aren't we arrogant? No, that's not arrogant. The Lord delights in you. He loves you. He loves you. He delights in you. If you're his child and if you're serving him and you're delighting yourself in the Lord, he delights in you. Look at verse 32. Look at verse 32. Man, it it is hard to narrow down these verses because I would love to read this entire chapter. But look at this. Verse 32. David goes on to say, God arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. Oh. He straightens it out. He makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. And you've ever seen a deer? It's incredible, man. Even on the mountains, they're, they're just, they've got this footing that humans don't have. And, and David says, God makes me like that deer. Verse 34, he trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. Now, I mean, I read that. Does that sound like somebody that's cowering in fear? Does that sound like a weenie? Does that sound like somebody that is just, I mean, afraid and trembling? No. This is the guy that was just nearly about killed by powerful people that by his own admission were too strong for him to handle anyway. And here he is with this confidence. God arms me with strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer on the mountain heights. He makes it to where I could draw a bronze bow. David has his chest puffed up with confidence because of the Lord. And so when you finally understand that God is on your side, you get what I refer to as a holy swag. You're like, well, what's that, man? You get a little swag. You get a little little thing in your step. And it's not because you have self-confidence. It's because I've got God confidence. Amen. I'm not, everyone's talking about and preaching self-confidence. I'm not self-confident. I'm confident in Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer and my savior. And so before I close out, I was, I was just having a good time reading the Psalms and sometimes I get flashbacks to a time period called the nineties. All right. And so, yeah. And so I was, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was just reading this and I was re- about how David, I mean, just days before, you know, he was about dead meat and all of a sudden he's like, you know, just about ready to take on the world. He's so confident right here. And it reminded me of this, uh, I, I heard a sermon back in the 90s by Jesse Duplantis, all right? Love Jesse. And uh, and anyway, I was able to secure the footage from the internet. And so I'm going to play a couple minute clip here of this sermon of a time when Jesse Duplantis uh, was in a, a hilariously bad situation and how he had a very quick turnaround. It's a funny story, but it proves the point that when you know who has your back, you can have some confidence. All right, so go ahead and roll that beautiful bean footage. Anyway, we live down in Venice, Louisiana. My daddy worked for Getty Oil Company. I'll never forget that as long as I live. I was about five and a half years old. And we lived down in a place called Sheffield Lane. The man that owned it owned Sheffield's Cafe up at the front. We always lived back in the back, right by the Mississippi River by the levee. And he had a, a big complex. I don't want to call it a big complex, but, you know, some little rent houses and things. And me and my brother would play. We had a friend that we really enjoyed playing with, and they had another kid that lived in the neighborhood and only lived actually about, oh, maybe two lots over from us. 
And this kid was an abused child because his father was an alcoholic and his mom was an alcoholic. This boy, he, he, at six years old, would smoke cigars. And that would freak me out. I'd go, wow, man, smoking. He want to hit? No, no, no. You know, he just smoked cigars. Then parents didn't care. His dad, I've seen, I've seen the father many times, fall on the porch, drunk. Mama too. Police come down there, pick up the kids, keep them for about three weeks, and I guess give them back to them, they'd be back. But this little boy's name was Fred. And Fred took a butter knife and stabbed one of my friends in the back. Put it, he's back this deep. I mean, the ambulance had to come pick up my friend, which made me mad. Mad, man. So I told my brother, I said, we're going to whip Fred. My older brother said, okay, where are we going to whip him at? I said, look, I want you to get, we didn't have an inside toilet. We had an outside, had a three-holer. Yeah, that's good. I mean, know what I'm talking about. Yeah, three-holer. The daddy-holer, the mama-holer, and the baby-holer. You know, those three-holers. And used to be a hot shot. You had a three-holer. It's an outhouse. Way out from the house is where it was. So I said, I said, I'm going to lure Fred in that, in that, in that outhouse. I said, when I open that door and he come and you just hit him. I said, I'll throw him down the hole. <laughs> I was a bad kid. I was about five and a half years old. I said, I don't have enough of Fred. Fred done stabbed our friend. We're going to bust him today. So, boy, sure enough, man, old Fred come out there smoking his cigar. I'll never forget it. I said, hey, Fred, come here. What do you want? What do you want? I said, come here, I'll tell you something. I'll show you something in the outhouse. Just come see. There ain't nothing in there I want to see. Just come on there. Boy, that's my brother behind the door. And I was walking. I said, you see him? Here he comes. Here he comes. Open up that door. Boy, when he walked through that door, boom, Wayne hit him. Bless God. When Wayne hit him, I hit him too. I said, you stab him off, man. We just beat him up. Boy, I'm trying to throw him. I put him in. I put his head in that hole. I'm trying to get him down there. You get him down there, bless God. He's going, ah! I guess you would too. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm trying to throw him down that hole. But I said, I mean, stab my friend. I'm five and a half years old. This boy is screaming from the top of his lungs. We're trying to stuff him down that hole, man. But the problem was I had a head in one hole and his leg in the other. And there's something in between. You can't get him in there. I wanted to cut him in half. Drop both halves in there. Bless God. I was so mad at him because he destroyed my little friend. You know, hurt my friend. He was a hollering. I hurt his daddy. Hurt. Mom, man, man. Boom. Out the door I ran. My brother ran. Fred come out. Oh, daddy. And man, that man said, oh, I'll kill you. When he said that, I froze. I'm five and a half years old. I froze. And my brother Wayne said, run, Jesse, run. I'm going. <laughs> Scared me. And he was drunk. And he had a Stilson wrench. Uh, y'all from Fort Worth, you know much about uh, monkey wrench, oil field wrench, pipe wrench. <laughs> he said, I'll beat your brown clear, you boy. Now I'm five and a half going, yo. Oh. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I couldn't run. I was scared. Of course, I was wrong to be trying to throw his son down a hole, but, you know, I wasn't saved. So I'm sitting there, and Wayne's screaming, run, run. But Wayne was running. Boy, all of a sudden, he, he gets from me to this monitor. said, I'll beat your brains out, and he's drunk. All of a sudden, I heard something go, kick it. I turned around. There was my mama standing in, in the doorway with a 22 rifle, pointed at man's head. She said, you touched that boy and I'll kill you. Boldness came upon me. <laughs> Boldness of such a degree. I looked at him and said, you want some of me? Huh. Boy, he looked like that. I said, shoot him, mama. I said, come on, man. I'll whip your son and whip you too. Mess with me. Five and a half years old. Pop mama said, shut up, Jesse. Shut up. She said, you touch my boy and I'll kick By that time, my daddy come driving up. He sees my mama with a 22 rifle. He sees the guy with the wrench like that. And I'm going, come on, Jack. I had boldness because something was behind me. My daddy said, my mother's name was Velma. He called her Vel. Vel, don't kill that man. And that man looked at him. He said, you think she would? He said, I live with this woman. She will kill you. She'll kill you. You touch that boy, she will kill you. All right, all right, praise God. So anyway, that may seem like a, a silly illustration, but you know what? When God is on your side, amen, we can have that confidence. Let's go ahead and stand up together. I'm going to just quote one final verse tonight so we don't have time to turn there. But Romans 8, 31, amen. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. And in the NLT it says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Amen. And so you better know tonight, say with me that God is my rock 
my fortress and my deliverer, my savior. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise together tonight. Hallelujah. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and uh, close things down here. But I'm going to have my prayer team come on up if I could. Desiree, Brother Chuck. And if you need uh, prayer for anything, we're going to make that opportunity available tonight. We want to pray with you and agree with, with God uh, to, to see a breakthrough in your life. But let's go ahead and have Josh lead us in a, a worship song as we begin to close things out here. Amen. Cause you make mountains move You make giants fall You use songs of praise To shake prison walls And I will speak to my fear I will preach to my doubt That you were faithful then You'll be faithful now You make mountains move You make giants fall You use songs of praise To shake prison walls I will speak to my fear I will preach to my doubt You were faithful then You'll be faithful now I am standing on your word Calling heaven down to earth fight my enemies this will end in victory and I will believe it yes I will believe it cause you make mountains move you make giants fall you use songs of praise to shake prison walls I will speak to my fear I will preach to my doubt That you were faithful then You'll be faithful now Yes, you were faithful then You'll be faithful now All right, praise the Lord well, who's had a good time in the house of the Lord together tonight? Men, we call it the hour of power, and our goal is to get you in here and fill you back up so you can tackle the rest of the week and get back in here on Sunday. Amen? Well, uh, remember, ladies, that Friday night is the women's meeting, and so be there at Victory Hall at 630, and it's going to be a really good time of fellowship. And it's so important that we surround ourselves. I say this all the time, but surround yourselves with godly influences and the right people because you get enough all week from your job and everywhere else of the negative people and it's really important that you come in encourage others and be encouraged yourself and uh and just take advantage of of these type of opportunities amen all right well uh, let's go ahead and close out in prayer and we will speak our barstow faith confession and get you on your way amen Let's raise our hands as we pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word. And Lord, as, as David put it in Psalm 18, Lord, we love you. You are our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer, and our savior, Lord. We love you so much, and we thank you that, that we can come to you with anything, God, and you will always bring us through it. We thank you, and we praise you for that. And now, Lord, use us, uh, these, these next few days, God, to be the light of the world. Help us to share this God gospel, this good news of who you are with those around us. And God, we know, we know you're sending Jesus back soon and we want to be ready. So give us and let us take advantage of every opportunity to bring people to you. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus name. Amen. All right, let's do this. Let's speak some faith over Barstow tonight. We declare that Barstow is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. 
Barstow is strong. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is saved. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll see you this week.